welcome to Big Feelings, the podcast where two prematurely crotchety weirdos in suburban exile talk about parenting and other strange, gross, and interesting things. I'm Ginger. And I'm Lo. So, I did the intro today. Good job. Yeah, thanks. Someday you're going to do the book report. Oh, You're going to bring me a thing someday. Not yet. I have a bunch. You know, it is funny. I feel like in the last few months... I've really been paying attention to stories. I'm like, ooh, I bet Lorraine would love to talk about this. And then I'm starting to get interested in it. And then I'm like, oh, i got to read a little bit more. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I ruined your life. <laughs> um, well, what is your thing, Ginger? I mean, I'm into all these, all this stuff. We all know what I'm into. What are you into? I love sex stories. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, we're not talking like uh, illegal or anything. I just really like <laughs> to hear about like... About sex stories. Like a scandalous? Yes. Oh. Okay. Think about it. Yeah. There are lots of times. And I just find myself just going into the deep pit of... You're still in there. Reading stuff. Under the piles of laundry and... (laughs) There's still a fully formed person. I don't know. Maybe. We don't really have any fruit flies. Everything's going great. We appreciate everyone's continued support. Check out our Facebook page and rate us, yeah. especially if you don't want to deal with iTunes. Give us five stars on our Facebook page. I actually just realized that that was a thing. So I didn't know that people could rate oh. us and review us on our Facebook page. Uh-huh. But again, uh-huh. so yay, do it. Thank you. We had parent-teacher conferences. Harold's oh, very first. Oh. How'd yours go? Oh, my God. Excellent. It yeah. was the first excellent time that we've ever had with our second born. Usually it comes to we see her get to school on time because she usually throws fits in the morning time. Mm, control. Uh huh. And control. then she was struggling with reading for the past like two or three years. And now this time the teacher's like, she's reading at a fifth grade level. She's in third grade. Nice. She's reading at a fifth grade level. And she's just, she really loves school and loves the routines. And, and then we ended up just BSing with the teacher. And yeah. I was like, this is. This is great. You like her teacher? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. It she's, sounds like from day she's one, cool. she's really liked third grade. Yeah. So that's, oh, that's so nice. I know. How about the other one? Uh, oh, you know, when you go to middle school, Sixth, they don't right? do, they don't do conferences. Oh, okay. Yeah. They just send home a report card with like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Oh, I guess there's not really an E or, <laughs> or a G. There you go. Yeah. But... They do call this. They do call your house if your kid's doing really good. Oh, and she had A's. She had A's and oh, two B's. Isn't that good. cute? All right. So Harold, mm. is he failing kindergarten? Yeah, we ran way behind on his. We just got lost in time. He's doing okay. He's doing better. <laughs> it's so cute. Like Jeremy went to pick him up and. He got in the car and Jeremy was like, well, we had a really lovely chat with your teacher. And he was like, ugh, she probably wanted to talk to you about my writing, huh? Because <laughs> it's true. He's not uh, dexterous. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's not it's uncommon funny. for little boys, okay. especially. It's, well, when he's fiddling with his, with his wiener, he sure seems dexterous. When he's, <laughs> when he's playing the video games, he sure seems... You know, he can wield an Xbox controller better than I can. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, he's, he's doing really well. We ran way over and I didn't even bother to go to Clem's because hers, this sounds so fucking, I don't know, hubris-y. Uh-huh. Um, but hers are always like, pleasure to have in class. She's great. She's Mm -hmm. such a sweet girl. Bloopity bloop. Like we're on our fourth grade and it's been the same every single time. Like pleasure to have in class. Sweet girl. You know? Okay. Yeah. Great. I think it, it it's usually like 10 minutes with her where you're, and then you're just staring at each other. <laughs> do you have any other questions? No. Mm-hmm. We can go. Do you want to have some quiet time? Have a snack? Yeah. So. So that's what my conference was like this year. And it just has never been like that before. With number so, two. Yeah. It was amazing. Congrats. Yahoo. It's all about your successful parenting. Oh, well. That's what did that. The one thing that I brought up was the fact that she comes home talking about the same boy every single day mm. and how much she, he's so annoying. Oh. He's so annoying. Oh, he's oh, so he's her, terrible. He's her Gilbert Blythe. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Cute. So they're two opposites, but he is also, 
He's cute. He's got like one of those little cute boy haircuts and he's just annoying, you know? <laughs> and um, That's how it starts. he tells her things like, oh, you're so bad at math. And she's like, oh, you just be quiet. I am not bad at math. I'm really good at math. And I'll then, show you. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> he's giving her a little kick in the patoot. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. So the true crime case that I have for this week it's, it was such a gift. It dovetails so beautifully with the Fred Co. and, and the and the Ruth Co. Um, thing, which mm-hmm. you don't have to listen to the podcast, but watch those YouTube clips that I put in the show notes because that it's so weird. It's so it's weird to watch the movie in that way, but yeah, it's super entertaining. And I got to watch another made-for-TV movie this week, so super fun. But <laughs> um, and we kind of started talking about. You know, how you would feel if your kid did this fucked up thing. And and then this true crime case that I found was really told from the perspective of the parents and what they've been going through. Um, and I found this great quote that I wanted to bring to you today. That a woman named Charlotte Franklin wrote a piece on Medium.com about the, this case. She she doesn't have children herself, and she says, is the fabled biological imperative to always love your offspring no matter what, because you will always see yourself in them? Is that why parents and loved ones of people accused of serious crimes live so deeply in denial? Is the personal boundary between members of the same family so blurry that the truth can never be accepted or internalized no matter what the evidence? Is family ever capable of seeing a person as they really are as an adult, or will they always see the child within? I think it makes sense because there would have to be so many warning signs before your child goes off and just starts murdering people or raping people, right? There would be so many signs that as a good parent, you would pick up on. Are they? Have you seen the bad seed? Oh, God. Have um, you seen it? Any version? There's multiple versions. What? Uh, that is the one with the little girl that murders. She murders a kid with her tap shoes. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a really long time. I do love it. I love, I think there's a 90s version and then the the black and white version with little Rhoda. And she's got like blonde hair with braids. That sounds <clears> very familiar. She's she's very really sweet familiar. and she's really perfect. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as someone has her back turned, she's like murder, murder, murder. Right. And just, you know. Well, I think in that situation. So that concept like, of the <clears> bad <throat> seed. Oh, I you see. know, this is still your child and you birthed them and you loved them. Right. But you know that something's off and it's terrifying. And even getting back to your terrifying true tales of teaching with shark boy, mm-hmm. how, how do you parent that? How do you parent? Or that? just how do you, I know. how do you love something or someone that also terrifies you? Mm-hmm. I just, it's fascinating. You know, me. you think I, there's so many stories about families that have, multiple children, but one has severe autism and they have these extreme behaviors of, um, screaming or violent behavior. And there's reasons like, so, so then you say, oh, well, my child is autistic and he has these behaviors. The parents still love them. But I think that there's so many times when the parents like, I just don't like him. Like Mm. I don't, he's not, so you can love someone without liking them. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, there's a range probably, but you hear a lot of stories about, <clears throat> I remember there was a story on NPR once that followed a family and their child kind of went into adolescence and they got really into child porn. He would like hurt animals and stuff like that. Uh-oh. And it was, oh. it was really creepy behavior, but he had severe Checking autism also. Okay. Right. So I think that that's, that's a complex sort of, ugh, cause as a parent, you're like, you want to help them. And, mm-hmm. but there's behaviors that are not okay. I think that parents probably let their kids get away with stuff. Too like, but what does not letting them get away with it entail? You know, well, like like if like if you let your kid just stay in their room all day Mm. with a computer, Mm. oh well, right? That would be kind of not really dealing with the fact that you're. I mean, if your kid was looking up child porn or, or have you watched the Slenderman documentary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. But I self-flagellate. It's this, you know, you know, you know. <laughs> so I, I watched that and it's one of the most 
as a parent of a girl, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. I can't watch that. I can't Someday watch that. I want to have you have like a, we'll have a sleepover and I'll just make you watch all this fucked up stuff. I will never be your friend ever again. I'll be like crying in the corner. Like, oh, can we turn it off? Oh. Well, and that, so the slender man, you know, the story though, right? But the two girls. Uh, yes. And then they got obsessed with, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cause what I always think about and what's always terrified me is you put all of this work and all of yourself into trying to create this good person. Mm-hmm. They meet yeah. a friend, just the wrong person comes into their life and how fragile it all is, how easily all of that can be undone. I feel like mm-hmm. it terrifies me. You think it's all tied up so tightly and then someone can just tug a string and your kid can get s- I think that just away. the fact that you are mindful, like the fact that you're, worried about that. It will probably never happen because okay. you do so many subconscious things probably with your kids to prevent anything like that from ever happening. Like maybe you're a little bit more observant of what they're looking at on YouTube mm. or you're checking in with them more often when they get home from school and asking them questions in authentic ways and just saying, Hey, uh, yeah. how's your life going? What's, you know, like, but, as they but get not older, in a way that's like, a duty, in, in, like, yeah, like I'm, yeah, invasive, like, oh, I'm just going through the parenting procedures here. But I'm already getting fine, good. I don't know. <laughs> and like, I, like I was telling you earlier, she's like, oh yeah, I saw it on YouTube, and I'm kind of weirdly anti YouTube in my house just because. It's really bizarre. And to be honest, I'm just lazy. I don't want to fiddle with the settings on every single device and like making sure it's like YouTube Kids and mm-hmm. you know, and and so with the Slenderman case, she had an. I think it was Anissa had an iPad that she was using for school. And her dad very clearly said the door was always open. He would poke his head in. He would see what she was looking at. But when they went back through her browser history, it was a really fascinating yin and yang of like baby pandas and then like babies in blenders. There was some. Okay. So dad saw stuff like that, right? So he looked at her browser history. I don't think he knew to look at her browser history. Okay. But he was looking at, he would kind of just look over her shoulder. As having a sixth grader who wants a phone, Mm. we have been very clear that there's no such thing as privacy as having a phone. Yeah. Yeah, If you would like to have a phone, we're going to look at it every night. Okay. Uh, we're going to have um, conversations. You're only going to get this much time. And here's why. The, the, there's reasons why. It's just like you are only 11 or 12 or 13, and there's no reason for you to have privacy. So I say if you need to have private conversations with your friends, then you do so face-to-face or yeah. when the two of you are hanging out. It should never be something that, that makes it sound like I'm – trying to get her to well, hide gonna, things from me, but are I'm, you going to get her a dumb phone? Cause that's the new thing oh. is all these like super basic devices. We've gone back to like yeah. flip phones and yeah. stuff like I that. Parent, I know parents that, that do that. Yeah. Because yeah. then you get all the benefits of the tracking. <laughs> I guess you just hope that you've laid enough of a foundation and you've installed their moral compass mm-hmm. well enough that they will face these challenges with a good yeah. head on their shoulders, right? I think one of the one of the most enlightening things is when you have when you see them in their friend element mm. and you see them talking to their friends or they have conversations with each other and they think that you can't hear. Mm. I that's why I love to put the kids in the back seat mm-hmm. and I'll pretend like I can't hear anything. Like somebody will say, Oh ginger, da 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 and I'll pretend like I didn't hear because mm. then I'm like, Oh, now these little twelve year old girls think I can't hear. Now what are they gonna talk about? Mm-hmm. I've heard some pretty fascinating things. Ooh. Hot goss, dish it out. <laughs> I heard I heard this whole conversation once about how one of her friends she'd already planned out how many kids she was going to have, how she was going to get married, yeah. but kind of to the point of like it's okay if I have a baby before I get married, but I definitely want to make sure that I don't have sex until I get married. Oh, that's going to be challenging. <laughs> kind of all these weird. <laughs> so then I get a sense, oh, this girl is very obsessed with like adult, you know, behavior. And then I listen to what my daughter says. And the next thing that comes out of her mouth is, oh my gosh, Pinkie Pie did this really funny thing (laughs) where she jumped out of a cake. Oh my gosh, Pinkie! 
a pinky. And I was like, okay, you know, sure. I now have a sense <laughs> for where my daughter's head is at. <laughs> I've been having really bad baby really feelings. Jeremy and I were talking the other day and you know, I have an IUD and, and also we, we never fuck girl. We're so <laughs> tired. And then one of us is sick and then, ugh. so it'd be like, a um, it would be the second coming of Christ if I was pregnant right now. Uh, but it was like, well, what, what would we do if, you know, and I was like, Ooh, I'd be keeping that baby. And Jeremy was like, you shut the fuck up. <laughs> I was like, I love babies. <laughs> oh, I, I just, if someone on Facebook posts a video of their baby, I watch those entire videos. I will watch a two minute video <laughs> oh of someone else's baby eating a banana. I Are will. Are you the only person in the world who does that? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's probably other fucking weird ladies. That going is the exact the reason why I don't use Facebook. Cause I don't yeah. want to see that shit. Oh. I don't want to see that shit at all. What if it's like really, really cute? No. Who cares? I wish, you know what, Ginger? The only thing I want more is to be able to smell that video. (laughs) (laughs) Even if like there's a little bit of poopy diaper. We gotta, we gotta make it an invention. Yeah, you got a little bit. Smell a vision? Well, my other genius invention is I want an app that I can install on my phone so that I can just wave my phone around my body and it'll, my phone will tell me if I smell. That's my million dollar idea. Don't okay, but steal once it. you have that technology, you could easily turn that into exactly. Like, you could reverse could engineer. Smell, it yeah, yeah. To smell things out. on videos. I would just do nothing but huff my phone if it smelled like baby scalp. <laughs> oh. Okay, Lorena, I do have to tell you though. Okay, <laughs> you still have a baby, kind of. Well, yeah, so he's three. Still, he's at know, the. He's kind of at the annoying shit stage. <laughs> I mean, honestly, he hasn't pooped in like two days. Oh, here we go. Maybe even three. This is the poop and murder podcast. Yeah. I've realized that's what. He's super packed up and he won't go. He's, I think he's afraid of the bathroom. Did you massage his tummy? Have you done yeah. some bicycle work? Oh, maybe we do. He's not going to let me do the bicycle on him. He's oh. three. Oh my God. He'd be like, no. Oh, my sim plays on her phone while she's on the toilet. I love that. <laughs> I was telling Ginger, I, 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 uh, we got an Xbox for Red Dead Redemption and I, I kind of, and then I downloaded Sims 4 and it is my crack. I am, I have such a problem with Sims. It's so bad. I can't stop. And it's so fucked up to think like, I actually have a life. I know. And I'm choosing not to participate in my real life so that I can make this computer generated person go out and, you know, Make out with everybody at the juice bar. Such a compulsive behavior. I I have to avoid. I have to avoid starting things like that because if I start that, I'll just. I had missing time. I wish I could say I'd been abducted (laughs) and that I came back with like a sore butt and burn marks on my arms, but like no. Does that ever happen to you? Where you where you're like you're you're just you're doing some sort of routine behavior. And then all of a sudden you're like, God, where was I? I feel like I haven't been here for mm. well driving. Cause mm. you know, I put on a podcast and I go the same way. Every, I was know. in the garage the other day and I was like, you have this like moment of clarity that just hits you for some, some random reason. You're like, where was I? Have I been there here this whole time? Does that ever happen to you? Well, I mean, yeah, mm. the more I learn about stuff, I don't know. I might be slightly autistic or have adult ADHD <laughs> because there are times when I actually almost, it feels like flexing a muscle for me to mm. be present and focus. And like I was telling you last night, yeah. my poor husband had the same conversation with me like three times in a row. I don't know what happened. I swear <laughs> I was listening to him. Even listening to podcasts, sometimes I just drift away and yeah. then I have to like corral my, like I lasso my brain and yank it yeah. back. You know, we, okay, we have so, so much to keep track of. I, I feel like all these devices too, that were supposed to help us keep track of this stuff. <laughs> then it's just one more clock. thing that you have to check. And well, yeah, I mean, I'm gesticulating, but like, you know, mm-hmm. now it's mm-hmm. just piled on more and more and more. And then I think that almost is why Sims can, is addictive for me because yeah. I don't lose focus Dude, when I'm you simming. get so much control too. You're yeah. just, you're fucking God. Well, there's that in a weird way. Cause my Sim is, um, she's so cute and she's young and, and it kind of almost <laughs> took me back to being like young and single and, you know, and the possibilities of life. And, and to be honest now, God, the, you should be the on a commercial. Are, um, joint pain. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you might be, 
premenopausal. Also that? I think that so the first some of the first sounds, sounds some of right. the first warning not warning signs, but some of the first <laughs> like, <laughs> symptoms <laughs> is like an obsession and like a, a revitalized obsession with I'm saying babies. It. I got a mustache. But a revitalized <laughs> Like you're just like huh. obsessed with babies and it's your a biological clock oh, giving it one it last ditch. Ooh. It's it's more that's what it feels it's more like. estrogen that's kind of pumping through. It's like ah oh, okay. quick, we gotta use up these the last few eggs that we've got. Put Shh. one last one in there. Maybe more horny then? I don't know. Yeah. It's just tired. That's my know. sexual orientation. It's like <laughs> tired. You know, I bet if you had a nice, big, firm cock just waiting for you, it would probably, <laughs> you'd probably take it. I haven't checked <laughs> you'd my probably like, all right. <laughs> I just want a foot massage. Yeah. That's all I want. But what if a cock was just sitting there just going, hey, Lorraine. If I could rub my feet beep, with boop, it. Beep, boop, beep, <laughs> boop. That's a thing. That is a thing. I think it's called shrimping. Well, you're not going to get shrimping? pregnant that way. That's for sure. <laughs> Okay, so that coupled with this like existential thought okay. of like what's gonna come, I need to start making plans for when yeah, after I'm I about pass to away. Die. Yeah, yeah. But okay. once you get through this little hump, I, so after you kind of go through menopause, then you experience like this blissful mm. moment. Like I've heard that the fifties are actually some of the best times of your life because you're so confident, you're relaxed, you're not worried about silly things. Mm-hmm. And I was like you're that just relaxed. Like, not very long ago. I felt like I was like, I'm good. I no, do feel confident you still have that period hanging around. Well, I'm just like, because I got the IUD, dude. We had a whole company. We've done I this. I know. I have the this. IUD too, but you still have horror. You know, yeah, you still got it. I, I got nothing. Oh, that's right. I think that your body still wants okay. to produce those things, though. Yeah. It's not like it totally just shuts it all down. <sighs> you're still connected to the moon, girl. It's okay. still pulling on you. Yeah. Still pulling on you. <laughs> Yeesh. All right. Well, I'm going to be okay. So I think we need to change. I'm just riding the change wave. Change what we say prematurely crotchety. Just crotchety. Just cr- weirdos. Mature crotchety weirdos. <laughs> we are prematurely crotchety. I mean, 43 is. N- we're not old, Jennifer. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> but I'm not old. Gosh. This was fun. <sighs> Yeesh. Yes. There's so much to worry about with kids and sending them out into the world. And I feel like that's kind of why I joined the organization too, to help get good footing. And I do feel like I have a child that if she feels like something's hinky or she doesn't feel right about it, she does just say no thank you. Mm -hmm. She doesn't seem really into peer pressure. She doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to care if people Mm -hmm. think she's cool. Mm -hmm. And we're still in fourth grade, but... She's in such a binary system with her BFF right now. They are just, no one can get in there. And so I think that's great because her BFF Mm -hmm. is, oh, I fucking love her. She's a super kid. So I'm feeling good. I'm like, you guys just stick together and everything will be okay. Uh, We just went to a class called Dads and Daughters and it's through Children's Hospital and it's by this woman, um, something Metzger, Julie Metzger. And she has written lots of things about um, adolescence and bringing up a woman in their teen years and just kind of that transition from tween to teen and all of that. And it was the one time that I have been in a room full of just dudes. Like I, I think I signed up Josh and I to this course, this like three hour course thinking that it was um that it was okay that I went and I ended up being the only woman. It was testosterone heavy to say the least. Well, dads and daughters. Dads and daughters. What the fuck were you doing there? Well, I went there c- to give cuz I don't think Josh would have gone by himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> I mean, did it was slowly fine. sneak out the door. Did you back? <laughs> I, did put up my, I did put my hair back in a ponytail and put my hood up. <laughs> See, so I don't think you're passing. I hate to tell you, <laughs> but um, but this class was really good. So I want to keep that in mind. Like, there's mm-hmm. these. She's, and she's um, she's so she is so not there yet. But yeah, I think yeah, maybe next year. You think a, in like ten? But it's this process. You just see, the, you just see your kid, one, right? Even oh yeah, yeah. Too. Mothers and daughters. Yeah, mothers and daughters, and that's kind of getting them to think like it's for 10 and 11 year olds, 
you know, talks about periods and boners (laughs) and having sex in the bed and I don't know, other stuff. But this class that we went to with Josh was really great because it helped to sort of see that your kid is in the process of change Mm -hmm. all the time Mm -hmm. and every step of the way is going to be okay. And you just, it's scary because it hasn't happened yet, but they're going to be fine. Have you ever heard of a red reviving Ophelia? No. It's a book about teenage girls and it kind of basically says that they are going through all of this turmoil and tumult in their teen years because it's, they're in a safe place mm-hmm. so they can do all this fucked up stuff mm-hmm. without real consequences. And what you don't want is a kid that never does any of that while mm-hmm. they're living with you. And then they go out into the world and then the fucking gloves are off yeah. and the, everything goes off the rails. And then they're doing stuff that because they're of age is going to have real lasting consequences and can really actually Scary. fuck up their life. So that it was the t- my takeaway from that book was kind of huh. like, the rockier and kind of weirder things are now we're not talking about being arrested or hardcore drugs, but kind Uh of that crazy teen shit they're working it out and and then they'll come out the other side. Yeah. And and then, um, the other movie that kind of popped into my head while we're talking about this was 13. Have you seen that? Uh (gasps) Yeah. That movie. That's a parental horror movie. Scarred me for life. Yes. And here's okay. I think just put this in the back of your brain for when you get to this stage is I have spent the last year thinking that my daughter is going to turn into that, that, that sort of just like all of a sudden, just like super gross and (laughs) it's having gross, gross. I can't even, I'm not even going to think about it, but having a daughter who is who she is and we're just going through this, like it's just life. You really see that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. I know that this is a really beautiful time as well as, you know, kind of going to be scary for her, Mm -hmm. but I'm trying to hold on to this. Like it's pretty magical to have like conversations that can be a little more in depth. And it's pretty amazing to see when she makes these connections to things or when Mm -hmm. she, you know, has really knowledgeable things to say. It's like, she's totally turning into a person Mm -hmm. who is, going to be a contributing member of voting in six years. Yeah. So if you see this as a kind of beautiful time Mm -hmm. rather than a scary time, just start preparing your mind now. Like it doesn't have to be, because I think that we've really done our kids a a little bit of a injustice in that we have sort of pigeonholed them into like, Oh, they're going to be terrible. They're going to be drinking and smoking and hanging out with their friends and just getting into all sorts of trouble. I think we pigeonhole them. Vaping. Yeah. Vaping. (laughs) Nobody smokes anymore. They all vape. Using the YouTubes. They all jewel in the bathroom. (laughs) Or during class. What the fuck is jewel? Oh, it's the little, yeah, it's a little disposable vape thingy and it comes in all these flavors. And I've heard that kids are even doing it in the classroom and like blowing it down their shirt. And one of my clients Mm -hmm. as a teacher was like, yeah, you, you don't know because it dissipates and you can't really smell it. Yeah. But it's still nicotine. That's so scary. There's always something, right? Anyhow, you know, there is, I just feel like there's a lot, there's way more. So much. It's so much. I mean, yeah, in a way you can kind of see how people turping out. It's just like, no, I'm going to shelter you. I'm going to keep you safe. You'll never leave the house. Don't take a bath. Oh, God. (laughs) Okay. Are we ready to dunk gizmo? Blend it up. So today I have brought for you the story of Paul Kenneth Keller. Which I kind of stumbled upon because I was telling, I was talking to you. Used a different font. I, I, I Look this at wasn't that. me. I don't know. It just did this. <laughs> I couldn't fix it. But uh, oh. I was talking to Peter Keller about somebody. Okay. And they were like, "Oh, is that this arsonist guy?" And I was like, "No, but what's that?" And so then I got into that. So Paul Kenneth Keller, he set over a hundred fires in Seattle from August 1992 to January 1993. And so his story, it was such good timing. It was such a good case to get into right now because all the, all the literature and the media that's out there, there's no books about him or anything. There is a documentary, but they, Vimeo wanted 25 bucks to rent it. So sorry, I'm not going to do that. But 
Um, there's a TV movie that was made in 1995, which stars Neil Patrick Harris and Gerald McCraney, and it's called Not Our Son, which was delicious. And then there is an episode of Forensic Files, and then there's an episode of Evil Lives Here, season two, episode one, where they interview his parents. And Paul's parents are George and Margaret, and they are the most squishy little Christian people. It says that he grew up in Everett, Washington. Yeah. That's my uh, hometown there. There you go, girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember this at all? Mm-hmm. This was I, co- yeah, you do? I think I do. Yeah. So it was terrifying and huge. I don't know what I was doing. I don't really remember it. But the TV movie is very much told from the point of view of George. And this other show, The Evil Lives Here show, is just an interview with with the parents. If you're interested in this case at all, it's a really good episode. I fucking love Margaret. She is, she's just very sweet and kind and, and Christian, but in this, in the good loving way. And she has this very kind of fluty, reedy voice that I just kind of loved to listen to, but she, she's not weak. You know, she has a lot of anxiety and fear, but she's strong. And pretty much from the moment Paul could walk, especially from the time his little sister was born, she knew. She describes basically living in terror. She describes him as a bomb waiting to go off. She said she would just wake up in the morning and just cry with the thought of going through another day with him. He horribly abused his sister Ruth and his brother Ben, just bullied the fuck out of them. And when Ben was a toddler, he um, deliberately tripped Ben on a bunch of golf balls, which to me indicates a pattern of, well, I didn't push him. I just put the golf balls out there and he just happened to slip. And poor Ben broke his femur vertically and had to be in a cast from his neck or from his chest to his ankle as a toddler. When George and Margaret confronted him about what he had done to little Ben, he was just like, always nonplussed. And it's interesting to me too, because Margaret describes him as being like an alien. Like it's like talking to an alien, which that same phrase was also used Mm. to describe Fred Co Mm -hmm. from last Mm -hmm. time. So that it's this interesting thought of like, as a mother having this kid that, you know, from the jump Uh ain't right. His poor sister at one point, the family, yes, huge warning signs. And they, she said they saw, I think she said that he had 49 different neurological tests run on him. And at that time in the eighties, they were just told that he probably had ADHD. And when she asked the doctor what they should be doing, what their strategy should be, his answer was, well, you're just going to have to be a long suffering parent. So yeah. Um, And then at another, so at another point, the family goes on vacation and they, they rented a house with a pool and the kids were out playing in the pool. They weren't great swimmers, but they were in the shallow end. And George was just watching them. He knew. He was on red alert, he said. And yeah, fucking Paul tried to drown his sister. He, How old was he at this time? It didn't say. I got the sense that it was like maybe, you know, somewhere between 9 and 12. It didn't well, say quite I know that the there are, there's, I mean, there's kids that, that don't have a sense of like the... It could hurt. Yeah. Mortality. Mortality. Like they could die. The thing was, and this goes back to your true terrifying tales, his mother describes him as delighting in other people's pain. And when confronted with it of like, hey, you know, you could have really hurt someone. He, it was just totally blank. Mm -hmm. And both of his parents admit that he had zero empathy. So I feel like Margaret is very aware of what's going on the whole time. These people... You know, they, they really did their best. George is really interesting to me because so super, super Christian, right? Almost to the point of like super blinders, just like naive isn't even the word. He talks too about like that firstborn son and how powerful that is. And you hold that baby and it's just, you think of all the possibilities for him so, so he was living an idea of what he thought a yeah. dad was. I think, and, and there were things in here and there that mentioned kind of vaguely that George and Margaret had suffered abuse as children themselves. And uh-huh. so that they were trying to turn this leaf and do things differently, mm-hmm. but I couldn't find out any details about that. I, there was also vague mentionings that George's father had been a firefighter and that's kind of where this fire yeah. thing came in. But 
again, couldn't, it was just kind of like thrown out there and I couldn't find any confirmation. Um, so Paul started setting fires at nine and he had this really intense fascination with, um, which again, like a lot of non-neurotypical people zero in on a thing and that's all they want to talk about. And they always bring the conversation back to that. And for Paul, it was fire trucks, firemen, fires, Mm -hmm. anything to do with any of that. Uh, George gave him a really nice camera one year, I think, I don't know, I didn't say for Christmas or birthday or something. And and he used it to, he would go to fire scenes and take pictures. And in the movie, at least it mentioned, it, it shows him like listening to a scanner and then he would go out to where the fires were. And he kind of knew a lot of the, like, I think he knew the fire chief or something just because he was like a super fan. He had tried to become a fireman and, and was not accepted. It didn't really this is Paul, specify right? why this is Paul. Okay. Uh, meantime, George is starting up an advertising agency, which ends up being really successful. And he decides to bring Paul in as an employee and market right, right away. is like, Oh no, 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 no. This is not going to go well. And George oh, listening to this guy talk, it's just like, dude, I love how full of love you are. And he still says, I love Paul unconditionally, mm-hmm. the same as I always have. My love for him has never diminished, which in a way is admirable, but then it's also crazy. I don't know how to feel about it. But he um, so he brings Paul in. He says Paul's really good with the clients, but Paul's described as having a hair trigger. And if someone so much as moved a pencil on his desk, he would lose his shit. So Margaret drops by the office one day, comes around the corner to see Paul with his hands on his sister's throat. Cause she worked there as well. So she at the office. Yeah. She comes around the corner to see Paul choking Ruth out. And as soon as Paul sees her, he releases Ruth and steps back, but no acknowledgement of like, Oh shit. He's just kind of like, Oh, Hey mom, what's up? And Ruth of <laughs> understandably is terrified. And I could see that Margaret is kind of like, I think this is a woman who, who knows abuse. And so she was like, yeah, of course, Ruth, this was terrifying for her. And he just acts like it's nothing. Poor Ruth, man. It just sounds like their whole childhoods were just, they were tormented by this guy, which that's another thing that kind of uh, interests me is like sibling abuse, you know, like where's the line there between just roughhousing and Uh really Uh causing damage. So Okay, so as you're talking, I'm kind of making mental notes because I like to hear the whole story before I start inserting my, you know, kind of what my thoughts are because I don't want to gear the conversation towards a certain, like, oh, let's think of it this way. Yeah. But I've already got flags going up in my mind about parents who had a bad experience as kids and want to raise their kids differently. So they, they don't acknowledge things or they they overcorrect. It's like that generational thing, right? It's like, Oh, my parents are really hard on me. So I'm just going to let my kids eat candy for dinner Mm -hmm. and never wonder where they are kind of thing. Mm. So if both of his parents were abused as younger kids, they're George, already parenting with a different worldview. Yeah. Right. And, and George said that as a last resort, I think he did spank Paul a couple of times and you could tell it just, he, he didn't want to, he just didn't know what else to do. I mean, yeah. these people were at their wits end. I think Margaret much more than, than George. Margaret had, like I said, just severe anxiety her whole life uh, that she was living with Paul. So there's his childhood. Didn't have a lot of friends. So what triggered this rash in 1992 of fires was apparently he divorced. I couldn't find any information out about that. Like nothing about how, what had gone down, why his wife left him, how it happened. It's just kind of vaguely mentioned as being sort of the trigger for this arson thing. I also got into a quick spiral about pyromania because I, other than it being a bitch and death leopard album, I, <laughs> and I kind of, I wanted to set some shit on fire after like watching all these YouTube videos about pyromania. And it did say that the, the statistics kind of vary, but somewhere between 80% and, and 50% of arsons are uh, children and juvenile males. And I think I get it because when you set shit on fire, you are almost like a wizard commanding this beast, this terrifying 
uncontrollable monster that's at your command, you know? So to have that much power is really um, exhilarating for these kids. So he set in that time between August and January over 75 suspicious fires. I believe it is still the biggest arson case in U.S. history. There was one night where he set 12 fires in one night. And he started with construction sites and then he moved on to churches, which, okay, at night there's, aside from like choir practice, churches are probably empty. But then he did move on to houses with people in them. And it's kind of surprising to me that only three people ended up dying from this arson spree because he would stand at a family's window and watch them eating dinner while he was setting fire to their house. One of the reasons that he was hard to catch was he didn't use any kind of incendiary devices. He just would hold the lighter up to something. And they said that all the fires were started between waist and chest level. So he's pretty much which, which is where your hand would be if you were just holding a lighter up to something, you know? So you're just standing there for so a just long time. Standing there. Yeah. This image of him watching a family have dinner while he's destroying their life is really that's intense, man. That's creepy. Yeah. So this goes on. It's this reign of terror. And the big thing with this story is that, so a lady kind of, she's coming out of a restaurant or something. She happens to bump into this guy. He's kind of inebriated. He says this weird thing to her. She doesn't think much of it. And then later she did step forward and called the arson task force. And then that's where they were able to get the composite drawing from as they actually used forensic hypnosis on her. And she was able to remember a few digits of the license plate and give them a description for the composite sketch. So then they published that in the paper. But what did he say? What did he say to they, her? She, she said he was just babbling about the fires. Like, oh, can you believe this fire? Ugh. Pretty crazy, right? He's just super drunk. And that's the other thing is he, so his sort of defense oh. is that he was drunk and high. So there's a really fun scene of Neil Patrick Harris, a very young 1995 Neil Patrick Harris, sparking up a dube. Uh, and drinking in his car with like a little mustache and aviators on. <laughs> that was cute. And <laughs> in a couple places, it said that he claimed that he had been molested by a firefighter at 12, which I don't want to doubt anyone's story or anything, but that seems like it's kind of, they started just kind of throwing stuff out there. I'm going to get back at the fire. The yeah. Firemen's. Like, Oh, I was molested. It, you know, if it's true, that's horrible, but it kind of smacks of like, Oh, this will get me a reduced mm. sentence too. So George saw the composite sketch. To me, it looks like Freddie Mercury, but it does also look a lot like Paul <laughs> Keller. And th- so there's this whole thing in, in all the TV shows and the movie. Really, the movie, that's what the movie is about, is about the family having to turn in their own son and the angst. And there is... In the movie, there is a lot of really intense musical cues, <laughs> a lot Ooh. of like slow piano mm-hmm. and like Gerald McCraney looking at the lady who played Margaret and, and, and George cries a lot. And so Gerald McCraney cl- cried a lot. It's really Gerald McCraney's movie. So if, if you're a McCraney head, <laughs> uh, get on that. It's some pretty good McCraney. Hmm. So they saw the composite sketch and they knew it was him. And Ruth had even at one point when the fires were going on, she's like, hey, do you think that's, uh, you think that might be Paul? And Margaret, I think, was kind of like, I think, you know, like, I think somewhere, because the way that she talks about it, she's like, and then George said, oh, no, that could never be our Paul. And I think Margaret was like, I think it's probably our son. <laughs> so then George takes that to the arson task force. Like they pray about it. And at the end of the day, the conclusion that they come to is, well, nobody's died from this yet, but it's only a matter of time because he's setting fire to pe- to families' houses while they're in there. Mm-hmm. That's attempted mm-hmm. murder. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you've known someone that's, that's had a fire, it really ruins your life. Mm-hmm. It's fucking horrible. It's devastating. It's tragic. It's not mm-hmm. just losing your stuff. We had fires in my neighborhood and some dickwad on Facebook was like, well, I got insurance, right? And it's like, you know what? Insurance doesn't replace your grandmother's wedding dress. It doesn't replace all your family photos. What if a pet's in there? Right. Like a fire is a big fucking deal. Well, and I think it's a, it's an assault on your on your safety too. It's your home and it's where do you home. go? And like it's all these people in California right now. Your- as your home, not yeah. a house. It's a home. Exactly. It's ugh. so. 
oh my God, well, I keep trying to put myself in these shoes of if I knew my kid was setting fires or I speculated that they were setting fires, it, how how would I feel going to the authorities? Yeah. What if I was wrong? What if they were wrong and they were like... Wrongly convicted. Yeah, like yeah. committing him. But if he was doing all of these, you know, kind of violent yeah. behaviors anyway, yeah. it's good to get get your kid checked out, I guess. And it wasn't just the picture. George also looked at the profile and it was a white, late teens, early 20s, alcohol and drug problems, intelligent, underachiever, major life trauma, which was the divorce, works in sales mm. and delivery. So they turn him in and then the kind and of his fucked name up is part. probably Paul Keller. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> and, was, and also his name might be Paul Keller. They turn him in. And then what's really gnarly is there is a 10 day period where the task force is like, <gasps> you guys have to act oh, like shit. And for these oh, people awful. specifically oh, that, that oh, they have to lie. These are not liars. Oh my God. These are not slick ricks. Like, the, so it was, they could have been killed agonizing for them. Yeah. And even little Ben, well, he's, he's kind of a big, big chunky guy. At one point, Ben was, was tempted to tip him off. So it's this crazy thing where they, they still love him. Oh, they didn't tell Ben that they did Well, that? no, no. So Ben and Ruth, the brother and the sister, they were also all in on uh, it. Oh, okay. So yeah, Ben was in the car with oh, him driving he, to church. Like ben was going to tell. Was going to tell Paul, Paul to just keep driving. Oof. Down to the wire. In the movie, they portray it as Paul being within two miles of the Oregon border. And he has a car phone that's about the size of a brick. And... They they know that he's heading for the border, and so they have Margaret call him. So they were like, just say whatever you need to say to get him to come home. And so Margaret says, Paul, you have to come home. We need you here. We need you here. And he does. I think that when he wasn't being a total asshole... They did have good times. They did have a loving relationship. So she gets him to turn around. They meet up for dinner, which, ugh, I didn't like this, but George refer- specifically enjoys referring to it as the Last Supper. So they all went out for dinner. Paul was just kind of quietly crying the whole time. Like, he knew oh. that things were closing in. And so it was this really weird, awkward dinner. Um, mm-hmm. Then he gets apprehended by the cops George is there at the task force HQ. When they bring Paul in, he gives him a big hug and just says, Paul, you, it, it sounds like he was also a pathological liar, especially the use of this phrase, because he says for once in your life, tell the truth. They know everything they already know. Just tell the truth. And so Paul goes in there. I watched some of the police interview and he actually says shit like, he says, uh, oh, I'm not a criminal. I'm a really loving guy. I don't belong in jail. Can't you just, this is a direct quote, can't you just dock my insurance or something? It's just a bunch of fires. Zero remorse. <laughs> at, at the trial, the judge says, oh my so God. He, he was he was obviously convicted and sentenced to 99 years because wow. three women, he set fire to a retirement home. It blows my mind how much worse this all could have gone. Yeah. So he yanked a screen off the window of a a retirement home, kind of half crawled in, stuck his arm in and set fire to a vacant bed. And three women died. So on September 22nd, 92, Bertha Nelson, age 93, married Doris, age 77, and Adeline Stockness, age 72, did die. So it's sad to see Margaret say, you know, this whole time, the one thread we were hanging on to was no one died. He didn't kill anyone. Uh-huh. And then they figure out oh, that he had done this. Yeah. And so he did. He ultimately got sentenced to 99 years and he caused more than $30 million in property damage, set over 107 fires. He'll be eligible for a parole in 2079. Okay. So this so- guy had no remorse when he was caught and just saying, can you... Can you bill my insurance? Yeah. Can't you just picture that him in the, and being in the lo- a little kid yeah. at the pool and choking out or yeah. trying to drown his sister or whatever and just saying, oh, what? I was just playing around. Yeah. Like that's, kind of, that's pretty much what it was. The she, same sort of thing. She said he would just look blank when she so tried to like. Can you teach kids? Can you teach kids how to be remorseful? Or is this some kind of syndrome? Mm. Is there, a, is, is that a specific need thing? To ask it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's just, Allegra. um, it's the, the one thing I feel like you see in all of these dudes is this reptilian lack of empathy. 
Uh-huh. The lack of understanding that this isn't just fun for them, that this is really hurting people and that that's bad. I don't think that they quite understand that hurting other people is necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. And he enjoyed it. He yeah. liked to inflict pain. He liked suffering. Uh-huh. And he, he loved, like a lot of arsonists do, to watch all the hubbub and kerfluffle after he would set a fire. Like he loved the noise and the sirens of the fire trucks. So there's this lack of empathy happening with this guy, right? Yeah. A total lack of empathy. And he says that he's a loving guy. So how does that, did he ever have relationships? The way that he's talking too, like, he's just like, what? I'm a nice guy. What? I'm not, I'm not a criminal. And I think it's the same with the golf balls. I didn't push Ben. He just happened to run to walk through these golf balls that I laid down. I feel like that incident is very telling of like, well, I just held a lighter up to the house and it just yeah. happened to catch fire. <laughs> and again, I think it's amazing that there's not more victims. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great quote um, from the local news where the guy's like, you know, if I catch this guy, he's not going to jail. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, yeah. beat the shit out of him. So yeah, he's apprehended and the detectives, <laughs> I, I say they detectives lick butt and he fesses up because they, they did the whole thing where they flattered him and they were like, yeah, how'd you do this? You did such a good job setting all these fires and he totally oh, he went for it he bought into that and was like oh yeah let me tell you and then i wonder did he ever have his iq measured just all of these other yeah, things i want to know i think know. he was pretty smart but i think it's also really hard to catch arsonists you know i don't because yeah they're just like shadows and ghosts so he he gets caught from and there's fingerprint evidence so You know, he's caught, 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 and he confessed to a bunch of them. And it's interesting to see George specifically just scramble for some sort of explanation. So one of the things that they found out as the detectives were digging into some stuff was that as an infant, when he was in the hospital, his umbilical cord attachment had ruptured. So the way it was described, he was in the little, you know, incubator that they used to put babies in. And um, a nurse went to check on him and he was just drenched in blood because this thing had ruptured and that he may have suffered some brain trauma because of that. I think that's kind of grasping. I mean, it's still a horrible thing. And they were really, George and Margaret were pissed to be like, why weren't we told this? And I'm like, yeah, we're, that's, that's kind of. Wait, up. they were never told that? No, they by were the never hospital? told. No. How did they find it that out? It was in the medical records. The detectives that were investigating the case dug it up. What? Yeah. That's not normal. No. Oh, that's lawsuit material. daisy Holy shit. Well, I will say that one of the first things that you ask when concerns are brought by parents to a conference where you're like, oh, this kid is having some behavior problems or learning issues, the, one of the first questions that a psychologist will ask is was this a normal uh, pregnancy? Were there any complications at birth? And what were there any sort of major illnesses within the first like three to six months? Mm. Because it's all of that huge development time. And if there's a lack of oxygen or a lack of blood or, Mm. you know, there's some sort of trauma happening, that's going to completely rewire and put, you know, put, Maybe stress on the amygdala, stress mm. on the on the areas of the brain that are okay. responsible for this stuff. So maybe there's some validity, uh, more validity to that than I, I would say. So that that would make me so bad as a mm. mom. Oh mm-hmm. shit! Oh my god! Can you even imagine? That would never pass today. Yeah. Never. Yeah, I, I almost want you to just watch this show so you can listen to Margaret talk about this. I just really love her. Aww, I just want to squeeze her like a Margaret. like this squishy toy. Um, <laughs> well, and I will say too, Margaret describes going into a really profound depression after all of this. She said it lasted about thirteen years, and that one day she woke up and, a, and it was like a fog had lifted, and praise Jesus, and huh. everything was was okay again. These people. It's so weird because on the one hand, they really felt horrible about the pain that their son inflicted on other people. It's almost like they took the burden that he was refusing to bear. Uh-huh. But at the same time, George is asking everyone they know, he's asking everyone that knew Paul to write like a letter to the that he could bring to court about that he's not a bad guy and he's not he's not horrible and so the idea was to offset the letters written by the victims. Uh-huh. 
I mean, dude. Uh, yeah, so he, he really wanted to portray Paul in this sympathetic light. It also really bothered me to hear about how much Paul was abusing his sister, specifically that choking incident after which Margaret was like, we got to fire him. He can't be there anymore. And George was like, oh, come on. And to me, that really, that really is saying to Ruth, you are lesser. You are not as important as this firstborn son. He can do all this shit to you, but. I mm-hmm. still love him. Like, poor Ruth. I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, what that did to her. They said yeah. she still won't yeah. go near water after that incident. She will not get in the water. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she's got PTSD and lasting damage from a lifetime of abuse at the hands of her arsonist murderer brother. Oh. Yeah, I think that your mother bear instinct is pretty strong. When you have a baby, you don't anticipate that you are going to be that connected to them. In so, so much so that you don't pay any attention to the fact that all these other elements of your life are suffering. Yeah. Again, she was, she always knew. So I think her imperative for a lot of this was to protect Ruth and Ben from Paul. Mm -hmm. That was her like constant work Mm -hmm. all the time. Can you imagine if one of your kids was just every time you turned your back, shoving them down? hurting them, that you turn your back and you hear that, that scream of pain, that specific note that your child is in pain and you know, and then the other one's just standing there like, cause that's how it would always be. She'd, she'd turn around, one kid would be screaming and Paul would just be standing there like, do, 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 nothing to see here. I am shark eyes. Right. Part of this too, was that I was watching some, some awesome person on YouTube has posted just random episodes of King five news and stuff. So I got to watch and I think it was from like March 3rd, 1993 where Jean Anderson is so young. Jean Jeff Renner mm-hmm. is his mustache is so brushy and, and Brown. <laughs> and so I was like, Oh, you know, why didn't I know about this? Cause I don't, I was still living in the South end at that time. And so I watched this whole episode of, this, of the, the news also on the news was Waco. And it's like, oh, that's why. Because oh, I was like neck deep in Waco. Obsessed I, was, Waco. I was watching the shit out of Waco. <laughs> and then the Rodney King trial. Oh, yeah. So it was interesting, too, okay. because I think that we have a tendency to think like, things are so fucked up these days. And, you know, that that what's going on? And, and yes, yes. Yeah. But things, things were fucked up then, too. So you had Waco, you had Rodney King. And then this gift came to me where a man talked about he got lost hiking on the, it's, I think it's the American River Trail, this guy, Greg Bernardo. And he said that um, a ghost came to him <laughs> and told him to build an ice cave, a snow cave, and it saved his life. If he wouldn't have built that snow cave. It was a gift. It was a gift. <laughs> Whoever downloaded that to YouTube oh, was, thank you. Knew you. <laughs> But I love that that was, that was after all this other stuff. It was like the fun, like human interest piece that this guy, I think he saw multiple ghosts. He was like out there lost in the woods and fucking hallucinating on mushrooms. Well, they, well, yeah, because he was lost. I think he had been lost for a while. So, and he's, he's like, I may have been hallucinating, but I tell you, I saw this. And even if he was hallucinating, he saw a man be like, Hey, if you want to live, this is what you need to do. And so the ghost had him build a snow cave and it saved his fucking life. So thank you, ghost. They're not always dicks. They don't always just fuck with you and take the buttons off your shirt. Sometimes they save your life. Or I also thought, I'm like, maybe that ghost was just like, fuck, I don't need a neighbor. I don't need a new new neighbor ghost hanging out in my neck of the woods. I don't want you here. But yeah, super fun. And now I just kind of want to, when I'm not simming, like watch old. I think also too, in 92, like I was in high school, I wasn't necessarily like a news junkie, but you know, Waco definitely Mm. drew my attention. That was so insane. So what a time the nineties, the nineties. Remember the nineties? Yeah. 92 is pretty much like smells like teen spirit. Prime time to the the cranberries. I probably won't ever do another arson. So I hope you enjoyed this one. That was pretty good. That was juicy. I like that. Are you ready that. to set yeah, some good. shit on fire now? Yeah. And my next one that I have lined up is um, also a fun one, but then the one af- after that is going to be, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
I'm trying to like mix it up. We always appreciate anybody spending an hour of their commute or their workout or their laundry time with us. Thank you guys. Yeah. It's been fun. Thank you. It's always fun. If you feel the need to contact us, got any things you want to hear me freak the fuck out about? Feelingspod at gmail.com and go to our Facebook page and give us five stars or whatever you think we deserve. Just nothing less. If you made it this far, nothing less than five. (laughs) Okay, thanks.